Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Fio Dosetta, editorial lead at Postmark and founder of Content Folks. In this episode, Fio shares the origin story behind her team's comic, Dun Dun Dunning, and the learnings and best practices she came across while producing the comic. We then discuss the early content mistakes at Hotjar and how the team made a major turnaround with product-led content, and we wrapped up by discussing how to repurpose content generated for acquisition to drive retention. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Theo, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, thank you for having me over. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Fio is the editorial lead at Postmark and founder of Content Folks. Uh, Fio started out her career as an editor and content specialist at National Trust and others. Fio and I also worked together at Hotjar, where Fio and the content team grew non-paid traffic tenfold to over 200k monthly visitors. She then went on to serve as the editorial lead at Wildbits for Postmark before being acquired by Active Campaign. And she's also a freelance consultant and advisor to B2B tech companies who need wins and publishes a fortnightly newsletter that shares the how, come, and how to of the work she's doing. So my first question for you, Fio, is how come and how did you get to what is done, done, dunning? Okay. So for the folks who are listening to you and wondering what we're even talking about, the whole reason why I'm here, or part of the reason why I'm here, is because a few weeks back, I published a webcomic titled Done, Done, Dunning, which is about dunning and actually, which is about churn, which in my comic takes the form of a villainous skunk. And when I did that, I, I emailed you and I let you know about it because I figured you of all people will be interested in uh, my webcomic and talking about it. And... um the reason this webcomic happened in the first place is because I work, as you said, for Postmark, Postmark, which is an email delivery service. And I think when you're building a digital product, chances are at some point you'll need to integrate email functionality. You know, maybe you want to set up a password reset email flow or, you know, send emails to your customers who are adding more teams to the account, etc. And one of the types of emails that Postmark helps you send is dunning emails. So the emails you send out when... Um, you there is a pay, a payment or a billing failure, and you're not receiving the revenue that you're actually owed for that particular for that particular service or product you're selling. So 
I was writing some content about it. And then I started thinking about, I read a lot about involuntary churn, which is a particular kind of churn. It was also called delinquent churn. And that started giving me ideas of a sort of delinquent villainous-like figure that likes to mess with people's payments and trick honest folks and honest businesses into losing revenue they don't need to lose. So that gave me the idea to write a webcomic and uh, my company who is into webcomics and has written multiple webcomics to talk about such interesting <laughs> subjects such as email deliverability and landing in the spam folder agreed to let me do a comic about Dunning. So here we are. Very cool. I've actually got up on the screen now at the moment. I think when I saw it, it was like really, really high quality as well. When you emailed me, I didn't expect like to see something uh, as elaborate as this. It's, it's super cool. Uh, we'll definitely make sure it's in the show notes so you can check it out uh, later. But so you did a little bit of research then. You looked into the different terms and topics. Um, is the character called delinquent by any chance or that's just like... No, uh, yeah, it's yeah. not. Actually, in my in my final version, and I should it's probably specify, I didn't do any of the drawings or the building of this beautiful page myself. So I wrote the story and then I work with two excellent people because otherwise nothing would have happened. But... Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't think that delinquent was the right way to go about it necessarily. So I, I imagine Dunning to be more of a villainous character that likes to cause mischief. And then I paired it with a super heroic figure of an owl who's wise and collected and whose feathers don't get ruffled by churn, uh, churn's antics. So there is this sort of, um, you know, protagonist villain frenemy kind of dynamic between these two characters who have been at it for forever really at some point they say this is uh it's a tale as old as email but actually it's a tale as old as people selling goods and other customers having to pay for it and failing to do so failing to do yeah because i think it's like when we talk about dunning we think about it a lot in the context of SaaS businesses and uh, like subscriptions specifically but it does happen everywhere uh even outside of subscription business uh, and having delinquent uh, churn to some degree uh, as well it does and actually i'll just add this as i was doing research because to be honest um before joining Postmark, I had been on the receiving end of these emails, but I didn't know they had a particular, like a dedicated name, Dunning. And so in the course of my research, I discovered that Dunning is a term that comes from a 17th century practice of sending debt collectors to forcibly follow up on debt payments. And, you know, today Dunning is associated with a much nicer, a nicer process. But uh, I kind of was thinking about, you know, like, you can do Dunning right, or you can do it not so right. And you would come across as a sort of a cloaked 17th century debt collector that bangs on a customer door. And that's not what you want to do with your Dunning emails. So I thought there's a factoid for you. Yeah, super interesting. That actually really reminded me now as well of like the doing it right versus doing it really wrong. And I remembered like previously to joining Hotjar, uh, I had a startup and we had run out of money. And so like, as you do when the you run out of money in the bank, you start getting dunning emails from certain products, services that you use. And I actually remember like re receiving these emails it was like bright red notice, like warning your account's going to be canceled and probably received like 10, 15 emails in that month. And the one that really stood out, it was completely different actually was surprising, not surprising, but it was hot job. And it wasn't oh. a Dunning email. It was just a message from David uh, Dominant saying like, basically, 
Um, hey, I understand like early stage startups can be difficult. If um, there's anything we can do to help, please let us know. We see like you haven't uh, made your payment this month or something like that. Uh, we're always here to help. And it was like a completely different approach and personal. And, and actually, I asked David about this on the previous episode with him. He didn't write it. So I don't know. Maybe did you write it at that point I or it might be before that. your time? Yeah. <laughs> it was before our time. Yeah. yeah. But it's nice. Yes. Because you can be human about it. You know, sometimes it's just these things are preventable and they happen. And, you know, why go around banging on your metaphorical customer's door with, a red alert or a warning message, you know, it's scary. Yeah. There is okay. better ways to do it. For sure. There's definitely one, like I think was is really bad actually, ironically for this podcast. Um, we use a, a host, I don't need to mention the name now, but um, I got an email from them once as well that's like, this podcast will be removed from all stores within 24 hours if you don't make payment um, and it won't show up on stores and things. And what happened was like the credit card had just expired and, uh, I needed to go in and fill in a new one. Uh, and I emailed the guys and I was like, this is a little bit rough, you know, like, uh, I shut myself. Like I was like, okay, the podcast is going to go down. And they said, yeah, but we have this from like a lot of people and stuff. I was like, yeah, but this uh, maybe a lot of people doing business with you. And honestly, like I am going to move from the service at some point just because of the specific email and the treatment. It's just, the hassle now at the moment to do it versus the reward is not there for me yet. But uh, I think the way you go about approaching these emails is really important. And you obviously done quite a bit of research now recently. So what are some of the things that like you see on your side um, that companies do well when it comes to dunning emails? Well, I think I'm glad that you mentioned uh, David Darman in his example at Hodger because I think one good thing is actually Dunning emails can just be simply automated and you can just use a template and send it to people to recover your revenue. But you can also go the extra step and actually use them as part of your larger brand and to be nice about it and to help people do the thing that they need to do. Like potentially, you know, you send this email when their card expires or there's a lack of funds or funds is on hold, whatever. It's not, it's not a big deal, but it is a problem and you can be as you said you know really harsh and you know scary about it or you can add a bit of personality and come across as probably the helpful company and human being that you are so the companies that do it well i think are the ones that don't forget about the human touch and there is a company called ux pressure i think um who who have a really nice example they send you an email that says uh-uh your payment failed, which is just nice. I don't know. I just, it's just not scary at all. And then yeah. it just puts you in the right mood. And I would just, you know, immediately reply and be like, uh-uh, sorry, I'm going to pay right now. Whereas the one, the one you received, yeah, that was scary. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that one. Yeah. No, and it's it's a weird thing because I think a lot of them, a lot of times there's different systems. We've hosted others on the show before that do this, like just tools that do dunning. Uh <laughs> And even when you look at like the automated templates, it's pretty standard out of the box. Like your payment failed, uh, fill in your details to avoid your service from being stopped. And it costs you nothing really just to be human at that point and try to be helpful and offer solutions. Uh, yeah, again, you know, failed, failed payments can be a stressful experience as you were telling before about, you know, your your startup is maybe not going as well, or maybe there's just a very simple issue of a credit card detail being changed. But 
you don't have to be like the last thing you want to do is add an accusatory tone to the whole thing you know be human be helpful be approachable and things will work out so i see companies companies that i think do it well um are the ones that remember to do that as well and in in a sense though i think we talked about templates because look at the end of the day, a dunning email has to do two things. It needs to inform you that something has gone wrong and it needs to tell you what to do to fix it. So it needs to be short. You don't, you know, you don't have to write a million things. You just usually you just write again what happened, how to fix it. Bonus points if you add a way of contacting customer support just in case somebody needs help. Add a bit of a splash of personality. That's all you need to do. And it doesn't take too much to deviate from the template and add yourself on top, I don't think. Exactly. I think it was also one of the things I remember at Hot having a discussion with one of the founders at some point, and he raised like a really good point is that if the average sort of credit card's lifespan is 24 months, uh, that means like roughly 5% of all credit cards every month are expiring on your database. So that's 5% of involuntary churn potentially just like coming from credit cards expiring. Um, that Dunning is a really good solution for as well. So it's weirdly also one of the ones like when I ask the question, if you had to ask a question to every guest and it always comes out like Dunning seems to be like a quick fix uh, to general retention. And so something you can like implement relatively quickly to mm -hmm. see results fast. It's one of the very few things that you can actually, if you're not doing already, do to see good results yeah. fast. I mean, I think, and when you're talking about churn, let's, let's be clear, uh, in the grand scheme of things, Dunning is not the definitive solution, but it, it, it and again, it can also affect the relative relatively, I'd say, small percentage and may not even have a massive impact unless you're on a really big scale. Um, so like you and your other guests have argued before, you sold churn in different ways um, by deepening engagement mostly. But still, I don't think anybody likes to lose money when they don't have to. And this is a really good time, a really good example of a time when you're losing money, not because somebody's unhappy with your service, but just because of preventable billing issues, I think it hurts in a different way. Like churn always hurts. Actually, churn stinks, which is why in my comic book, churn is a skunk. But this is a particular type of pain because it's just, this is money you have no reason to be losing in the first place. You're just leaving it out there. Um, it's I, I've become very passionate about the subject through, <laughs> through all my research and my comic book. So it is avoidable. It is preventable. And I think I, I can see why this could be a, a a relatively simple thing to implement that would yield big results. Results. In doing your research, was anything that really stood out to you or something you found really interesting? So you've given us one already, like the history of the meaning and the word Dunning. Uh, um, I actually, um, I realized, you know, when, when I started thinking about it, and as I said, I found myself on the receiving end of this before and usually what happens is i would pay and solve the issue but it turns out that there is such a thing as a done sequence so just sending one email is probably it's it's good it's better than nothing but there is a potentially even better approach which is sending a sequence and then i went deep into researching how different companies send different sequences how many days do they leave in between emails and discovered you know the the answer as with often often with marketing things is, it depends on a lot of things. But I found studies of companies, I think it was 
bare metrics who sends like i don't know six emails over the course of 60 days or whatever and they have the all the percentages of recovery rates i really geeked out about that kind of stuff because just i didn't even know like see again before working in email i didn't know that this was a thing it had a name and so yeah it's just something that happens like uh, behind the scenes you don't realize bare metrics is a great uh place to look for metrics in general i think because obviously every bare metrics they live up to the name uh, which is really great, and they're quite transparent with a lot of things. We can definitely link to that as well to check out. Um, but we chatted before the show as well. I don't like in terms of like statistics and really looking at sort of benchmarks. I think again, it depends uh, because it really depends on the type of business, the audience you're going after, like what your average selling price is. Like these can all vary when it comes to pretty much anything you try to do when it comes to general attention. I think Dunning is no exception either uh, in that. Yeah, And sorry, I was just going to add one more thing, which is as part of this exercise, I started learning a bit more about the larger topic of transactional email, which, again, as a reminder, is the kind of um, email that is sent in response to a specific action that a user takes uh, on on your site or on your app. And it kind of led me to, to realize that transactional emails, which are the emails that um, most products are run on, actually, they're the kind of set it and forget it thing that you know most people will think as a the functional thing you need to check off your to-do list before you move on to something else but they can actually make a huge part of the customer experience and i guess this is where our interests are realigned once again because i don't know like if if you've ever found yourself locked out of an account and you need a, a password reset email and then the email doesn't arrive and then you're just there furiously clicking that's a really bad experience and that's maybe not the reason why you're going to unsubscribe from you know a service provider but if it happens multiple times you know it's it's not great and so email deliverability the larger topic of email deliverability and its impact on retention is now what i'm really interested in because i'd actually really never quite thought that's about that to be honest yeah. but uh it's a huge there is a huge potential here to do something really good and have you know give your customers the good experience that they demand and frankly deserve it's funny you say that as well because i've actually i can't remember which episode this was a very early episode uh, it might have even been sean class from atlassian if i'm not mistaken but we're talking about like they did a whole bunch of research trying to figure out the biggest reasons for churn. Um, one of the reasons they figured out for engagement was time spent in product, but the reasons for churn was the biggest one, I think, was people being logged out of their accounts and not being able to get back in. Uh, and being one of the biggest frustrating points is like you end up losing uh, customers and users just to this basic thing. And that's the thing, it's like you said, it's like those emails. You don't think about them that often. You set them up once, it's up and running and it's done. And then nobody thinks about them again. I don't even think people test them again. Like uh, you set it up once and then it's like, okay, you might make changes to your sign up flow, but you're not going to go again and test like, yeah. did uh, we break something in the password reset or anything like that? And I think, uh, interestingly, definitely email plays a big role in that, uh, in that transaction. Um, so... Obviously now, like a postmark, being acquired by uh, Active Campaign, you're moving into a large organization now. Uh, how's that transition been for you and the team? So, the transition is is interesting because um, I I come from so postmark grew for the last 
10 years as, as an indie bootstrapped company of about 35, which is very similar, by the way, to the stage we both joined Hodger at. I think we were like number 30 to 40 and the company was, you know, bootstrapped and profitable. And now I think Postmark was basically a well-kept secret and um, it's basically by developers for developers. So it had very little marketing and grew mostly through word of mouth. And then we got acquired um, early this year, and now we're part of a huge company, which is a thousand people, has hundreds of thousands of customers, and the scale is just really different. And the good side of this is that we now have access to resources that we didn't have before. And even a larger potential market, even though we're still maintaining our focus. So in a way, I feel like we're still working as a small little island that gets to do fun things like web comics about email deliverability. But we now have more bridges towards the mainland, if you want. And with that comes also a huge opportunity to start educating a completely new audience about the importance of uh, email deliverability, which before was just, as I said, by devs for devs. And yeah. now it's expanding to, well, a lot of people who have businesses who need to send these emails to their customers. So there's yeah. a huge challenge in that. I can see that uh, being a big, big shift as well. We talked a little bit before the show, but I think just like the speed at which things can move and then the sizes of the companies, like it just becomes a different uh, game. Even though you have a lot more resources, like it, it maybe takes a little bit longer to get things done in some cases and in other cases you get things uh, moving on a bit faster but so i want to rewind a little bit before like uh, going back to hotjar days because i think mm -hmm. what you and the content team did there was really exceptional in terms of how we went about building out the content at hotjar and uh specifically for like a product-led business uh content became like a center pillar uh, as well for us uh, as a growth channel Maybe you can rewind to like the early days and just give us an overview quickly, like when you joined, like what was the status? And then um, maybe what was like the biggest couple of lessons you got at Hotjar while building and growing uh, the yeah. organic traffic? So when I joined Hotjar, which by the way, I think was about a month before you. So we're talking May 2017 to your June, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there wasn't a content team, so some content had been written by different people, including the CEO at the time, to you know to narrate the history of Hotjar and to explain how to use the, the products. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a function, and so I was hired together with our friend Louis Grenier, who was the content strategy to actually sorry strategist to actually implement uh, a strategy that would help us tackle the specific issue of acquisition. So we had an issue of acquisition. We also, side note, had an issue with retention because I remember writing a blog post about your work on the churn team. Um, so this yeah. is our, our lives intersect once again, and we're here to talk about churn. And, and in the first, yeah, in the first six months or so, we were trying to um, I think, to be honest, we went at it the wrong way. We were trying to document a lot of our of our startup life, etc. But we didn't really focus much on the jobs to be done that Hodger could help people do in a way. And then when we realized um, the opportunity we had, we kind of, we shifted gears a little bit and we started doing what we then started calling product-led content, which was 
an approach to our content that was still focused on acquisition because we chose SEO as our distribution method. But um, we sort of, we made sure that every piece we wrote would in one way or another present Hotjar. So Hotjar as a product would be there front and center, woven into the narrative, very visible via screenshots, via annotated screenshots, even videos, GIFs, what have you, so that anybody who had a specific problem to solve would come here, find the solution to the problem, and also see how Hotjar would tangibly help you do the thing that, help them do the thing that they needed to do, um, which was which was an interesting approach and not an approach that a lot of companies took back then. Not many companies are taking it now either, actually. I think a lot of content marketing teams, by virtue of sitting in marketing, are primarily focused on acquisition and they kind of think that their work ends there. Um, whereas we try to create content that, yes, helps, you know, Hodger solve its acquisition issue, but could also actually be used for retention. Um, again, we made sure that the content we created would be useful for somebody who had never used Hotjar in general, or for somebody who had never used a specific feature of Hotjar in particular, who could have well been a customer already for many years. So yeah. somebody could have come to Hotjar for heat maps, not knowing they could have done other stuff with surveys, and that's what our content was there to do. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's also in the con like from marketing side as well. I think especially in marketing teams, you're afraid to try and put your product front and center for these types of things because there's this like unsaid myth, I think, that you don't want to come across as sales you're selling. But I think that's the wrong mindset to have when it comes to this. Like if you're really focusing on the jobs to you know your customer and your product or service really does deliver a solution and is helpful and can provide value. There shouldn't be any sort of thoughts or concerns to talk about your product or service in that many because at the end of the day, like as a marketing team, you're building and writing content for these customers to add value to them. Uh, do you see this as well, like in other teams where people just, this is unsaid myth that like we shouldn't be talking about a product, we should be creating value in our content, but uh, miss the ball on this one? I completely agree. And I think it's because a lot of content marketers are frankly scared to come across as too salesy, too pushy. And so they, they move the problems away onto another team, whether it's a sales team or the product team. I don't think a lot of content marketers, certainly not back in 2017, a bit more right now, um, think of themselves as even allowed to do such a thing. And I also, I, I've always sort of resisted <laughs> this idea a little bit. Um, Perhaps controversially, I often thought of content that can have a dual purpose and serve both for acquisition and for retention at the same time, even though we're all trained to think in terms of funnels and top, middle, bottom, whatever yeah. stage. I often found that the content we created could actually do both things really well. And not many people were doing it. Uh, more people are doing it right now, which I think is a good sign because at the end of the day, if your product is there to help somebody, why wouldn't you show it? You're doing potential customers a huge favor by showing them what something looks like, how they can use it so they can get familiar with it before even signing up for it. I like this kind of stuff. I think it's really useful. 
Yeah, I definitely think that content itself has dual purpose and it's definitely acquisition and at the same time it's retention. I think we talked a little bit about this before the show that uh, it may be a little bit harder to measure on the retention side to content itself. But I think as your company grows and you get growing levels of sophistication of tracking and things like that, there are things that you can start to see. I think we did see in the end as well, though, the people that actually did visit content ended up retaining longer. I can't remember the actual numbers itself now at this point, but I remember having discussions where we were seeing early signs of it already at that stage that it was making an impact. Uh, yeah, I remember you and I were working on this. We were trying to find a cohort-based system to look at the difference in retention and lifetime value between folks who had been exposed to specific types of content versus not. And I think we were seeing something. It was probably not statistically significant, significant or even yet. Yeah. precise enough, because I think this stuff is really hard to track. But I also... Again, controversial opinion number two, uh, aside from thinking that the funnel doesn't really exist anymore. I also think that a lot of time is maybe maybe too much time is spent trying to track and attribute everything. Whereas if you're creating content that is actually really helping people do something, it can't be bad. So maybe you're not able to track everything, but if numbers are going in the right direction, you can probably claim part of that successful team. Yeah, and I think the great thing as well about like the approach uh, that the team took was that the content can be repurposed. So like a lot of times you just think about putting the blog post and sticking it up and then hoping somebody reads it or sending it out in a newsletter. But the content itself can also be added into the product. And I think this is what we started doing as well, like different mm. parts of the product introducing uh, these different blog posts themselves, but they end up becoming educational forms of content. Uh, for our users at different stages into different emails. And uh, I think that thinking it through this mindset gives it a little bit more longevity and uh, a little bit more exposure to the work that you do as well at the same time. What were some of the things that you think you did well there? Well, definitely. I think um, it was understanding what we were doing and who we were doing it for rather than doing random things and see what worked. I think we had... I'm not going to call it unfair, but we definitely had a specific advantage in, in that both Louis and I and you, actually, we were power users of Hotjar long before we joined the marketing team. So I've yeah. been using it for years in my work before. So we kind of knew that, A, we knew the product somewhat inside out back then. And B, because we had been using it, we knew we were talking to ourselves. <laughs> Basically, we were talking to people who had the same problems and the same needs that we'd had before that made content creation really easy. So I wouldn't say that it's something that I did particularly well because, you know, it, it either happens or it doesn't. And I think I was lucky uh, for that to have been yeah. the situation. But yeah. nevertheless, I think we we did really good work and we really showed the many, many ways in which Hodger could be put to use to do a lot of things. And this goes back to my idea of the kind of content. Yes, we were measured on acquisition, but I would claim, again, we impacted retention somehow because just because somebody's your customer, it doesn't mean that they, A, know 100% of the functionality of your products, and B, it doesn't mean that they're using it. So maybe, as I said, somebody was joining Hodger because of heat maps and recordings, but they could have used surveys and they didn't think they, they were useful to them, but they could have been. And so we tried to educate them equally yeah. um, 
again, just because somebody is a customer doesn't mean that they know everything that a product can do. And this is my rationale for saying dual purpose. These pieces could could do both, could help both types of. I think it also serves another purpose. Like we think about like these pieces for our customers, but also like thinking about it now as we're discussing is that I think also serves the purpose of educating the team as well. Um, because not everybody knew Hotjar as well as, let's say, like some of the earlier team members who came and previously working with it. So uh, I think even at some point, and we previously hosted Dino on the show, um, they were the support team started like referring uh, customers to new features and new products and services and referencing some of these posts as well. So they sort of served to educate our internal team as well and like what Hotjar could do. And then that sort of had this knock-on effect to letting customers know and letting users know when they dropped in for support. So it'd be like, I have this issue, like now that your issue solved, do you know that we have surveys? Like that can help you do X, Y, or Z. And he has an article, he has a piece, check it out. Uh, so I think like the coming from that mindset of really like, what are the jobs to be done? How can we create really incredibly valuable content for our users? There's so many different ways that you can then repurpose that and then uh, use it for retention, not only just trying to drive uh, customers through the door. I agree. And at the same time, I would say that because because of this collaboration, the collaboration went two ways because, again, the customer support team and eventually then the sales team, they were the first to be hearing directly from customers about what was working, what wasn't, and what customers needed. And so we just created the sort of feedback loop where we would come to us with ideas about what else we could do to educate people. And again, that worked extremely well. So I think this kind of approach where your product is front and center is severely underutilized. And I'm hoping that people listening to this episode right now will maybe start considering it because I think it still gives gives you huge competitive advantage at, at the time where there's like a lot of products that are all somewhat similar to one another and has a few features. Um, if your product is the one that is visible and if people can familiarize themselves with it before they even sign up, when eventually the time to sign up comes, they will likely choose you because there are no surprises there. You've seen your product in action so many times. Um, which is a lesson I learned from Ahrefs who were doing product-led content before it even had a name and they were definitely doing it before Hotjar. So we actually got inspired by them and we need to acknowledge this. Nice. Yeah, and, and like you're saying that it also sort of does the job of onboarding before they sign up in a sense as well. So uh, I really like that's another great point for it is that having this great content and by the time the person signs up, they already know what they want to do. They know how to do it and... Uh, They've read the guide before they uh, before they get there. Um, interesting. We yeah. need to get the data and see if we can go back and track it. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will also say this though. This kind of approach, as we said, is not that common. And another reason is not just the content marketers bless us. We're scared of appearing sales, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's also because it's actually really quite hard to do. Uh, particularly, as I said before, we had the unfair advantage of knowing the product inside out, but. If, if you don't, there is a, a huge learning curve to be able to not just talk about what your product does as a sort of top level explanation, but actually go really deep into its functionality, et cetera. Not, every can, not everybody can do it. Certainly not all content marketers are trained to do it or even care about it. So you need to actually put on a slightly different hat than the one you wear. Usually you're probably putting on 
the hat of a product marketer, the hat of a customer support person, and also even the hat of a business owner, because this is a way of thinking about content in terms of its impact on growing the business, not just growing traffic. You might need to let go of traffic growth um, and focus on slightly different metrics, like in the end, money in the bank or revenue or growth or whatever, whatever yeah. metric you want to think about. So not every content marketer can do it. I understand not every content director is wanting to do it either. Nice. I see we're running on time. Make sure I save time for two questions. Ask every guest. Yeah. Uh, first question, you start a new company, you join, Turner Retention is not doing good at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Fia, we've got to turn things around. You've got three months to do it. What do you do? The catch, you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers, figure out the biggest pain point and run with that. You're just going to pick something that you've seen work uh, at a previous company and run with it blindly, hoping it helps reduce churn fast. What would you do? So the, first thing the, I do is, <laughs> yeah. the first thing I do is I run because if somebody comes to me with a kind of problem and gives me 90 days, I'm scared. I don't think I can do it. Good but answer. Secondly, Dunning, as we talked about before, if it hasn't been implemented, and then you said I'm not allowed to do user research or anything, but presumably somebody has already done this. And so what I would do is start implementing content that can be that can easily fix um, the problems that customers are experiencing. So I would probably, you know, get the top 10 reasons why somebody has left and try to create content that counteracts that and share it with anybody on the team who's in sales, customer support, whatever, to share with people at the moment that they're about to leave and hope this works. Nice. Yeah, I think the Dunning one was an easy one. Uh, like I almost knew the answer before I <laughs> started asking the question. What's one thing that you know today about churner retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? I wish I had known what churn and retention were in the first place, Andrew, because before joining SaaS, I had no idea that this was such an issue. So it's been a, a really interesting learning curve. When you come to SaaS from a content marketing background that is really not about SaaS, you have never thought about this stuff before. So I think I wish I'd come to Hodger with this entire knowledge already formed in my head. Yeah. I didn't. So it was a really interesting learning curve. But one thing I wish I'd known is that there are a lot of good resources out there that you can study in your own time. You don't have to do it alone. This podcast is a good one. Look at me plugging it to people who are already listening. But yeah, I wish this podcast existed five years ago, to be honest, because I would have listened to it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting today, obviously, as always. Uh, we'll definitely make sure to leave all, anything we mentioned today in the show notes for the listeners uh, to catch up on. Is there any other final thoughts you want to leave them with uh, before we wrap up today? I think they should read the webcomic that we created, enjoy it, and remember that you can take fun more seriously in the company that you work because you're dealing with humans. Your customers are humans who like to be entertained while they're also being educated. Nice. Uh, it's a great way to end the show today. Uh, thank you, Fia, so much for joining. I really appreciate it thank and wish you the best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. 
I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.